ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Back to Hard to Paint with David Grubb, and I am now joined by a very special guest, Brandon Robinson, otherwise known as Scoop B, the one and only, one of the hardest working men in sports, just hard working people in sports. You've seen him. He's a senior writer at heavy.com. You've seen him on NBC, MSNBC, ESPN, Fox, and you've even seen him on NBA 2K. He's plugged in to the league, and I could think of no be- better guest on the day of the NBA restart to talk to. Uh, Scoop, we had talked to each other in a minute since I was on the radio, so uh, glad to talk to you again. How you doing, man? Brother, um, it's always good to see you. Kind words. Uh, you ain't so bad yourself. You're one of the <laughs> hardest working guys. And um, it is the beginning of the restart, and uh, I could have been anywhere in the world, but I'm glad I'm here with you. I appreciate that. I appreciate it too, man. Um, you know, like today we're both on a serious grind. Yes. So I was just glad we could catch up um, just a little bit. First, I wanted to address this with you. Um, the media has been criticized by and large from some players about not bringing enough questions about their um, social justice mission. Uh, do you feel that that's a fair criticism? And then how do we in the media, especially those of us as black media members, how do we keep that conversation at the forefront? I think a lot of, well, number one, in answer to your question, as far as players um, feeling that there are not enough questions being asked, um, respectfully, as a media member, I can say it's not not enough of us that are in media positions that are eloquently able to tell their story. Um, So it's a two-headed monster in that regard. Um, And I think that it's something that needs to be discussed as we are in a pandemic, we're home. But at the same time, um, we are asking and raising questions as it relates to uh, people in positions, visibility, and more. That being said, um, I can see that point of view. I don't think players are always aware of the lack of media uh, representation. And then sometimes I do think that there are players who feel more comfortable talking to media people that don't look like them um, as a personal preference. So I, I don't think there's one answer to that question. Mm-hmm. I think that is a very later answer. Um, and I also do think that until more people are put into a position that can tell those stories, it's business as usual. And, I, and you know me, I'm a relationship guy. Yes. Uh, I have not necessarily been the, the, the person who was able to walk, be able to walk through that door like some of my other counterparts. And the thing that has been my saving grace is the pen mixed with the relationship, mixed with the phone call um, and what have you. So I I do think that when it comes down to um, players and and, and media, if if you bring this to the forefront, it can be a conversation, but stop depending on people in power who don't look like you or I to have the final set. Create that for yourself. Yeah, because, you know, there's always been that feeling of their water is more wet, their ice is more cold. And do you think that there's some part of the players who just give more validity? And we see it on the agent side as well. Like you said, just validity and credibility given to 
mainstream white journalists, whereas we're seen as trying to be part of the culture, not necessarily seen as, as serious and as dedicated to this profession. I'm so thankful that you're translating everything I'm saying because I know eyes are watching and I don't want anybody to cut up what I'm saying for their benefit. Yes. Everything you said, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to me, I've definitely noticed it. And it's not just from players. Teams treat you that way, too. Definitely. It starts with public relations departments. It starts with, you know, I I can speak about this now because this person no longer works with the league. Uh, you know, me tweeting about credentials and all this other stuff was a particular member within uh, an NBA, within the NBA office who would deny my credentials since 2017, uh, all-star game. Um, and, you know, how do you, how do you deny somebody based off of a publication? I write at heavy.com, we do three to seven million hits daily. Um, you say it's an aggregation site, but I'm pumping out original content and I'm clearly talking to players daily. Yes. Like I'm in contact with people that are in the bubble right now. So to make it seem like I'm not credentialed or I'm not valid enough to, 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 to make way into that, I, I think that's a deeper rooted issue in traditional media versus digital media versus mainstream media versus black media versus so many other things. I think that the world is changing in that regard. And the league has to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> they need to catch up. It's yeah, like I said, the. I, 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 I wish that person well. Um, and I'll leave it like that. I, I won't pull soda or old wound, but I, I, I do think it's interesting that, you know, myself included, I've moved around different publications from 2016 and now heavy, you know, does well. And for you to deny that, you know, that access based upon your perception of it, it's not fair. And, um, to be honest with you, it motivated me pre-corona to, and you know, it was already in my element. But I think, you know, when you, when you, how do you, how do you not allow somebody who who breaks news on the daily, in addition to writing feature stories, to not get in? There's something wrong with that, and something has to change. Oh, and you, I mean, I've seen people who don't write at all get credentials. <laughs> people who don't write ever, maybe one or two times a year, and they're at every game. You know what I mean? And it's like, you're just here to be here. You're here to watch the game with access because you're not printing any, you're not putting out any content. And those people get the access. And it's, it's, it's a thing that just bothers me um, to know. You are the translator translators today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now you are in contact with players in the bubble and it looks like the safety measures by the NBA so far are working. Not a single positive test um, as we get ready to do the restart. I wasn't 100%, you know, I don't think any of us were 100% confident when this started, but we see how protected the players feel at this point. How much uh, credit do you want to give Adam Silver for what he's doing um, in protecting the players and just the environment that they've created down there in order to pull these games off, so far at least, successfully? Well, I think Adam Silver was in a very precarious situation when March 11th, March 11th, uh, the NBA halted because of uh, one player who did test positive in Ruby Gobert of, of the Utah Jazz. And um, I'll just be honest with you, I think people really panicked. And I think the NBA and how they handled it dictated how the rest of the United States of America uh, handled it, whether it was schools closing, 
uh, jobs shutting down, you having to be required to wear a mask in the grocery store. David, I think all of those things, you know, really started with the leadership of, 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 of Commissioner Adam Silver and, you know, his, his team of people. I'll add um, that despite people questioning whether the NBA would resume or not, uh, Adam Silver's approval rating was pretty high, and it started with the whole Clippers debacle uh, with Donald Sterling. Um, so I, I think when you look at um, the way the NBA is handled, listen, you, you, you have a bubble, um, nothing in, nothing out, unless it's analyzed and approved. Um, and, and in addition to that, you got to quarantine before you get to the main stage. Uh, you have to quarantine for 7 to 14 days in order, in order to make that happen. And you have, like, I, I got a handbook of, like, 113 pages of just mandates for everything within the bubble. Um, Everything is accounted for. So um, how he's handled, I think, is great. I think that Major League Baseball could learn a thing or two, um, as, as could uh, the National Football League. Um, I personally think that the NBA – I had my doubts about the bubble, but I think the NBA at this point has the ability to outlast um, all of the other sports leagues because they had a plan put in place from the beginning. And when you look at it, I think the big part of that, too, is the relationship with the Players Association. Of those three leagues, the NBA has the least hostile relationship with its association and maybe the most involved leadership. Um, I think Michelle Roberts may be the best union executive in all of the big sports. Um, and then on top of that, having Chris Paul and even – and I, I, I really didn't like it at the time the way you know Kyrie Irving as a vice president was lionized, but to have that debate openly – in front of the public, in front of players, and to let those concerns be made um, in that type of manner, I think it showed why they were able to make the progress that they did because all the voices were represented and those questions had to get answered in one way or another. Well, yeah, and I, and I think you, you bring up a, a very um, astute assessment. Uh, what I'll add is um, I think most people don't recognize this I wrote an article yesterday uh, over at heavy.com. You guys can check that out. Um, Kyrie Irving isn't the only vice president. Right. There are about six or, six or eight. I'm trying to remember. You know, I'm very well sourced when it comes to Kyrie. Uh, but I actually wrote an article yesterday at heavy.com where uh, I sat down with Bismack Biombo, uh, center of with the Charlotte Hornets. He's one of the six. Um, and, you know, when you talk about the, 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 the league and the union relations, you know, the NBA Players Association was founded in 1954. Um, and in 1983, players and owners reached a historic agreement that did introduce the salary cap error in, into professional sports. And this was believed to be the first salary cap in any major professional sports league in the United States of America. Michelle Roberts is the Players Association Executive Director. There are other vice presidents, you have Chris Paul, who's the president, Andre Iguodala of the Miami Heat is the vice president, along with Liz Macdiambo, Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon of the Pacers, uh, and C.J. McCollum, as well as Kyrie Irving. And um, one of the things that I learned from Biz Macdiambo was just how busy, you know, they actually were um, in just uh, negotiations with the league. And, you know, Biz Mac said this to me, we're just trying to, to be the best. We can't, we're trying to the best we can to make sure we're representing the players the right way and we get the right deal done between our union and the NBA. You know, if the NBA did not resume this season, they would have lost $2 billion. And 
if they did not resume this season. Because what happens is the way that the contracts are set up, you have to play 70 games, uh, at least 70 games in the season. That's why they're playing the eight exhibition games first before the playoffs. Because if you don't, they didn't get all of the money for this season. So right. they lose two billion dollars, and then the the owners of all thirty teams could rip, rip up the current collective bargaining agreement between the MBPA and the NBA, which would force a lockout next season. And the thing that's really going to be interesting about next season is one, the issue with China from this season, as it related to the comments Daryl Moore made, that was already going to lower the salary cap, but then. The pandemic was going to be another uh, low blow in that regard. So a lot of factors there that I'm learning on the fly. And mm-hmm. you know, I learned a lot just about how involved the MBPA is uh, with the NBA at large. Yeah, and people forget that Michelle Roberts is not an advocate of the salary cap. That's and she's not an advocate of the age limit, and she's not. You know, so she's been she's very big on player freedom. The funny thing is. It, whenever we you do get to that time when the NBA collective bargaining agreement comes up, it, it would be almost impossible for owners really to try to negotiate that in these two months between the end of this season schedule and trying to get ramped up in December, conduct the draft, do all, have training camps, and then try to lock folks out after you just finished a season during a pandemic. But on this next side, if they, after they get through 2020, 2021, it could get contentious. It could be. It could be. It could be contentious, but I do think that um, I think it's going to be interesting, and I think that the fact that they are playing um, games in the bubble is a, a step in good faith that things will move in the right direction moving forward. So we'll see. We'll see. <clears throat> One of the things in Orlando that's going to be huge with the game start tonight, there's no more home court advantage. No home court advantage. Um, you know, they, I know that they're doing this thing with allowing certain amounts of fans each night from, not, from the different teams to be on the big boards and stuff like that. But this is really basketball in the gym, the basic, you know, just the, the, the nuts and bolts of it. Which teams do you think get impacted the most, both positively and negatively, by not having a home court advantage, not just during these eight games, but going into the playoffs? That's a good question. I don't think I've ever been asked before. Um, the quick answer is I'm jogging my mind how to answer that is I don't know. <laughs> but the follow-up to that is I still do think that the teams that are supposed to be there and be successful will be there. It's been well-documented. Many people, many experts do think that it could be tonight's matchup between the Lakers and the Clippers could be a preview of an Eastern Conference Finals matchup, um, but comparatively, I think one team that matches up very well with the Los Angeles Lakers, particularly, is a team that's not in eighth place. Mm-hmm. It is I know who you're gonna say. Yep, I, this is, I've been saying that the last three days myself. But but here's the thing: I think the New Orleans Pelicans match up well too. I I agree. Young I agree. or not, when I. This feels like a reset of many of, 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 of many of many sorts because I remember being in Los Angeles back in I believe October twenty second between when was uh, the Clippers were the home team at Staples Center against the Los Angeles Lakers mm-hmm. and there was this excitement but the game before that game 
was the Toronto Raptors and New Orleans Pelicans. And this was the Pelicans team without Zion Williamson. Um, and we didn't know Brandon Ingram could potentially be the NBA's most approved player of the year. And when I look at just the, uh, the way that the Pelicans played, in spite of losing to the Raptors on opening night, I've used this analogy on another show, and I'll say it again. It reminded me of that scene in Davy Boy where uh, he took him and Omar Gooden took off their belt, and they started whipping that little boy in the park and said, you got a heart. You got a heart. Don't get that heart. No, they didn't. They didn't. But I feel like they did not win, but they, they watched and they learned, and they've just been, you know, they've been, they've been, um, They've just been absorbing things. Now you've got Zion coming back. You've got Brandon Ingram, who, who's in his first, you know, all-star year. you got Lonzo Ball. And, um, you know, I, I talked to J.J. Redick a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, he said he's excited. He's ready for the restart. Um, he's a, a, a vet that's, on a, that's giving him some use on that team. I think when you look back at that trade last June with the Lakers and the Pelicans, I think that trade definitely benefited both teams. And I think that if the Pelicans make the eighth spot instead of the uh, Portland Trailblazers, I think one and eight, whether it's Lakers against Portland or Lakers against the Pelicans or Lakers against Memphis, I think that AC, I don't know if they're a threat, but they're very well matched. Yeah, I think the thing is, for any one of those teams in this situation without home court and without the travel days – you know, you're not going to have a two-week-long round one like we used to. You steal game one, and all of the attention comes down on L.A. You know, the, the, now you put Anthony Davis in a situation he's not been in before as the favorite in a series and having to have some questions if you lose game one. LeBron is going to have to answer questions. You know, people are going to start talking about Avery Bradley, bringing his name back into the mix. You know, if Rajon Rondo isn't there to start, all those things will be brought in, and we know how L.A. media works. So they would be under so much more pressure, whereas in New Orleans, one win becomes – Man, look, we weren't supposed to be here. Like Jay-Z, you know what I'm saying? We ain't supposed to be here so much. I think you bring up a valid point. Um, but when I look at Portland, just you know, I talked about the Pelicans. When I look at Portland, um, you got a healthy Damian Lillard. You have a healthy C.J. McCollum. You have a skinnier Carmelo Anthony. You have a Yusuf Nurkic coming back. The only apprehension that I do have about Portland is this. You brought in a defensive stopper in Trevor Reza that's not there. Right. And I feel like the, the Portland Trailblazers starting five matches up well against the Lakers. Their bench is what I have issues about. Mario Heron, Harry, I can never pronounce his name right. Hazonia. 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 Uh, I watched him play with the Knicks. Hazonia's not checking LeBron James at all. Um, you know, Melo shifts back to his natural position at small forward. I think we just played around with the fact, I think, Paul Pierce in Brooklyn as, as the starting power forward started all these threes moving to four and it just didn't seem right. Mm-hmm. Carmelo Anthony is back in his natural position at the three, at small four. Um, and legitimately, you, you at the four or five position, you have Yusuf Nurkic and Collins, or you have Hassan Whiteside starting at the four to five, you know, as well. So every rotation that the Portland Trailblazers has, they have a 6'11 to a 7-footer within it. To me, I think that's great because you match up well against 
uh, a very top-heavy Los Angeles Lakers team that's thinned that or balanced out with fiery scoring, you know, swingmen at the two and the three who can't play one uh, in, a, in, a, in an offense under Frank Vogel. But I think what it all comes down to, we've talked a lot about the Los Angeles Lakers and not giving the Los Angeles Clippers their just due, particularly with how they've played since the beginning of the playoffs last season. Say what you want about Lou Williams and his proclivity for Magic City wings. Um, at the end of the day, just like Red Bull, it gives you wings. That being yes, said, he may be sitting out some games at the beginning, but we've seen what Lou Williams was able to do coming off the bench last season in the NBA playoffs against the Golden State Warriors team. That's a team that went toe-to-toe with KD on that Golden State Warriors team. They're not somebody to sleep on. Nope. I just have not seen them all in one setting at the same time. And one may argue this. Maybe going to Magic City was Lou Williams' version of load management. That being said, a lot of Clippers have gotten rest throughout the course of the season in a way that the Lakers have not. And how do those teams approach this then? Because you're going to have, with these teams at the bottom, you know, you look at uh, Washington, you look at Orlando. You know, Orlando's pretty much a lock-in. Brooklyn's already locked in, and they don't, they've lost so much talent. The, the, the Suns are not, don't really have a chance unless they go 8-0 and and everybody else falls off a cliff. Or the Kings. Or the Kings, who have lost their roster, has been decimated. San Antonio's roster isn't enough to get past Portland or New Orleans or Memphis. So you take those into consideration, and what becomes those teams' motivation to play up to their best if they lose their first three and they know we're going home? Or if you're the Lakers or the Clippers and you're saying – We've got our spot secured. If the Lakers secure that number one spot and, uh, and they start doing their own version of load management to get ready, there's so much pliability in the West from two to seven. You know what? I think that there is a team in the NBA who's had their own version of load management that I think is, could actually move. There are two teams, one in the East, one in the West, that could move significantly up in the standings after these eight games. One, the Dallas Mavericks. Two, the Philadelphia 76ers. I was just about to ask you about the Sixers. You buy, so that starting lineup has looked good uh, with them practicing. With Shake Milton taking over at point, moving Ben Simmons to the four, and now having Al Horford on the bench. Are they – you hate to use Philly because they were preseason favorite, but are they now a, the dark horse of the East? To quote the late great, pop smoke, shake it, shake it. <laughs> <laughs> I like Shake Billy at the point guard spot. I like it. I like this shift to Ben Simmons because, you know, I, I talked to Brett Brown about this last week, uh, a week or two ago. These days are all together, one of those weeks. And we talked about Ben Simmons' move to the fourth position. And, you know, I said, when I look at, when I look at Ben's move to the four after being on the ball, it reminds me of how. LeBron in his first stint in Cleveland was moved off the ball. No longer was he the point guard and J.R. Brimmer the two and, and, and Ricky Davis and Paul Pierce spinning it out at the three and the four was the Junis Ilgalsas and or Carlos Boozer. I, to this day, I think Carlos Boozer and LeBron James were one of the most underrated. Um, that would have been a devastating pick and roll if they had stuck with it. And listen, this was – listen, people marvel at LeBron and Anthony Davis in the pick and roll – Carlos Boozer and LeBron James were the founding fathers. Sorry, Carl Malone and John Stockton. 
But when I look at what the Sixers can do, Ben Simmons is still flirting with a triple-double. And the thing that helps Ben Simmons is you're still drawing that double team and you're kicking it out to a Shake Milton who can drain a three-point shot consistently. Um, I think that's going to cause matchup problems because no, it's, it's almost like for Philly now, it's, it's not a comparison, but it reminds me of when Larry Brown decided to move Allen Iverson to the two and insert uh, Erickson. Mm-hmm. I really do think that Philadelphia benefits from that. I also think defensively, um, you haven't seen the best come out of Matisse Thibel as well as – I like him a lot. I like Matisse a lot. Yeah. I think, I think he gives them so much. And, I, and the thing about Simmons to me too is when I saw him at LSU – you know, and he had the tendency to face up, not really go down on the block and want to survey. I think that this counters that instinct for him. And for a guy with his speed, he was one of the slowest in turning defensive rebounds into buckets on the other end. Now, with the power forward as his matchup and him catching outlets more often than having to be the guy who initiates, I think you make a better weapon of him in transition. And I think his rebounding numbers will go up even more as they get into this because I think he's a more active rebounder than Joel Embiid is. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think that Al Horford was overpaid. However, when I look at how much Philly had to give up, um, because you basically picked Tobias Harris over J.J. Redick and Jimmy Butler. Now, Horford is a consolation prize from a shooting perspective. Ben Simmons is going to draw those double teams, as is Joel Embiid. People were discussing Joel Embiid early in the season as a potential MVP candidate um, and, you know, was hurt for parts of the season. I remember being in Philly when Philly was struggling back in February. I was popping in and out of Philadelphia, and I remember um, when you go to Sixers games, they introduce the head coach and the coaching staff first. So you say, hey, introduce your Philadelphia 76ers, Sixers, head coach is Brett Brown. Boo! Right? They did. It, was a Friday, it was a Friday game. They played Memphis, and they beat Memphis four, four months had like 30 points in the game. Then, then they had enough. I remember I was off that Saturday, and then I went to the game Sunday against the Bulls. Head coach is Brett Brown. Boo! Right? That Tuesday, they played the Clippers. They beat Chicago. They beat Memphis. They beat the Clippers. And before that game against the Clippers, they were sharing. Philly is one of those cities, man. They, they love you when you up, and when you mess it up, they're going to let you know. Um, having gone through that spurt and having everybody be healthy, going into the trading deadline and you picked up Alec Burks as well as Glenn Robinson III and the little spot-up treatment that they had, their last game was, was March 11th against the Detroit Pistons. Um, Glenn Robinson III has found his niche from the jump. This is his second stint with the 76ers. With Brett Brown. Brett Brown's been around for a long time in Philly. I mean, we're talking back to the Michael Carter Williams days. Yeah. We're talking, we're talking where they traded their rookie of the year. You're talking about Thaddeus uh, Young. You're talking about um, um, just Drew Holiday, even back when Drew was still there. Huh? When Drew was still there. Yeah. So it, 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 I think, 
I think um, this is a put up or shut up year for Philadelphia. I mean, there's been talks. Uh, Rashad Phillips came on on the Scoopy Radio podcast and said to me that you know that the, the that the Toronto Raptors or the Golden State Warriors you know could be you know moving an inch in towards you know first pick in the draft as the New York Knicks are as well. But you know the the, the Toronto Raptors have their eyes on uh, Lamelo Ball um, and they're trying to do whatever they can to get it. And you know Rashad said on the podcast that. You know, the, the, the Toronto, Toronto Raptors have, you know, inquired about a potential three-team trade with the Philadelphia 76ers as well as with the uh, Toronto Raptors and the Golden State Warriors. Uh, and he said that he's heard from various circles that, you know, the, the Warriors were looking to try to get Ben Simmons out of the deal and that uh, uh, you could get the Raptors point guard uh in, in, in that deal, going home to Philadelphia and Kyle Lowry, a Cardinal mm-hmm. Dockery High School alum and a little Villanova uh, legend, and you know you possibly would have just a shift in the Eastern and Western Conference in that regard. The Sixers may value Joel and B more than they do Ben Simmons, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there as well. So a lot of things to consider, but I think this is the last hurrah for Philadelphia to potentially get it right. Everybody talks about the Milwaukee Bucks, but I think if the Sixers, if they play their cards right, could move up in the standings in the Eastern Conference and can go deep. Are we underselling Toronto and another team, um, Oklahoma City? So Toronto, um, I think people are very underselling of them. And one of the things that I like about the Toronto Raptors' story, the only non-U.S. team uh, in the NBA, uh, is the fact that they uh, went out to Naples, Florida, about two to three to four weeks before the everybody started reporting to the bubble, um, and they were really simulating the campus atmosphere, um, and in doing so, you know, just really set the stage for themselves. I think people over or underestimate rather the, the Toronto Raptors because Kawhi Leonard left a free agency, um, but the thing that has been very uh, encouraging about the Toronto Raptors, a second seed in the NBA's Eastern Conference, is this. Um, the emergence of Pascal Siakam this season. Uh, I said this all year. Pascal Siakam reminds me of Scottie Pippen after Michael Jordan's first retirement when he guided the Chicago Bulls to the Eastern Conference semis in 94 against the New York Knicks. And so when I look at Siakam and what he brings to the table, Nick Nurse and his resilience uh, coming from the G League. And I mean, the Raptors legitimately picked Nurse over Jerry Stackhouse, who many thought would be the next in line. Um, and, and they've done a tremendous job without Kawhi Leonard. OG Ananobi has to step up, and Rondé Hollis Jefferson has been that replacement, or they tried to make it that replacement. You can't replace Kawhi Leonard like mm. that. But um, I think that the Raptors are very underrated, and, and you know, it's good to be underestimated. Trust me, I know. I hear you. What about, what about those Thunder, though? I mean, I think Chris Paul in another season – Chris Paul would finish top three in MVP voting considering where OKC was expected to be and what they've become. They're one of those teams that I don't think a lot of people want to see either. With that three-guard lineup, the amount of defense that they play, if they're hitting shots, they're really difficult to match up against. Yeah, I did a, I did a, uh, a video uh, with um, Basketball Society at the beginning of the season where I talked about you know the Raptors – or excuse me, the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, could really be in a, in a good position with the young talent. 
not, I didn't know they were going to, I knew they were going to be okay. I didn't know they were going to be that okay. Um, I will tell you that the combination of Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Stephen Adams, and more, um, and now a healthy Andre Roberson is, is surprising to many people. Um, what I would say to you is, I was with Russell Westbrook last summer, the day he got traded uh, to the Houston Rockets, and the talk in Oklahoma City on the ground was um, that they were looking to move Chris Paul to the Miami Heat. And the holdup was Miami didn't want to part ways with Tyler Hero. And that's right. another in my opinion, that has surprised many people. And, you know, added a veteran presence in Andre Iguodala, but I'll stick on topic to your question about the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, the Thunder, to me, at one point, I think they're in the fifth seed in the NBA's Western Conference. Um, they played well, and I think it's the way that they, they pat, they've shared the ball, uh, movement on the court, cutting, and just really being underestimated. Um, and, I mean, they, they, they beat teams that many didn't think they were going to be. I mean, they beat the Lakers this season. Um, they, they, they beat the Houston Rockets and, and – um, Russell Westbrook's homecoming to, to Oklahoma. Like, they did what they were supposed to do. Um, I think as much as, you know, people talk about uh, the Rockets as being, you know, the team that could compete, man, I, I like the Thunder's chances more. Um, I think that the Houston Rockets, their best years were like a year or two ago, you know, when they did have a healthy Clint Capella, um, who, you know, some people feel like, you know, he benefited from just being in James Harden's presence and James Harden, you know, joined that double and triple team. Uh, and, but I really do think that the Oklahoma City Thunder have surprised a lot of people. I'd like to see them be successful just because I just like that young movement. Most people can only name Chris Paul. They don't really sit and look at the roster and look at some of the other fixings that are in that cup. You still, in order to have a perfect Wendy's uh, cheeseburger, you still got to have the lettuce, the tomato, the onion, the ketchup, the mustard, the mayo. And a frosty on the side. So I, I think that the, the Oklahoma City Thunder are in good hands. That's Jake Paul's stance. And then, and then also, too. Good ball, rather. Good uh, ball, yeah. And then, I mean, also, too, they're set up for the future. Sam Presti and David Griffith, the, the hauls that they got in their trades and the, the flexibility there for the future. They and put that to Gallinari on that team, too. And who can knock down a bucket. Mm-hmm. He can knock. I've seen him do it plenty of times. Um Again, no games have been played. There's so much change. If you were a betting man today, give me your conference finals for both conferences and your NBA final picks. Conference finals, Lakers-Clippers. Lakers going to the finals. Uh, in the West or the East, I'm going to go with um, the Bucks and the 76ers with the Bucks going to the finals. NBA Finals champ, the Los Angeles Lakers. Is Giannis the regular season MVP or LeBron? Giannis yeah, Antetokounmpo is the regular season MVP. LeBron had it for a week, though. I think, I, I mean, to me, Giannis, still, his upside still. I mean, to, he put up 30-14-6. and six. I don't think people understand how good he was this season. I don't think he'll win defensive player of the year. The Bucks team Davis. defense is so Davis is going to win defensive player. Yeah. But Giannis has proven to me that he's reaching that rarefied air of we already need to start looking at him as an all-time great. Giannis, to me, uh, you, you take his assists, his points, and his rebounds. You left out his blocks. Yes. Um, and you left out his steals. And I think you – 
think LeBron's edge is that LeBron is leading the league in, in assists, and we like assists. Um, but I think LeBron is at a point in his career like Michael Jordan in the late 90s where he's having MVP seasons, but you still got to spread the wealth around for that MVP award to the David Robinsons, um, the Charles Barkley's, the Hakeem Olajuwon's, and what have you. Um, I talked to Magic Johnson uh, a few months ago about my, about LeBron and his, his role or his position in the NBA. He says LeBron does remind him a lot of himself this year in his second year with the Lakers, as opposed to last year, because he's really playing that point forward position and distributing the basketball. I think oftentimes we have this pressure that LeBron should, that LeBron, we have to compare LeBron to Michael Jordan. And to me, Michael, LeBron and Michael Jordan were never comparable because they're two different players. Um, to me, LeBron was always Oscar Robertson, Magic Johnson, Penny Hardaway, with flashes of Scottie Pippen. And I would say even some Bird, too, because people forget how Bird switched between the three and the four spots plenty of times where he could play in big lineups with McHale and with uh, Parrish. And I think that LeBron, you can see that he that there are some facets of that, that quick passing that Bird would do, the one touches, those types of things, being able to see the floor and also be a big guy, but also and, and function on the perimeter. So I see some of that. Yeah, LeBron is like an amalgam of those multi-positional players, whereas, yeah, I don't see that comparison to Jordan in that way. And I would even put Giannis more like – like if, to me, Giannis is like if Sean Kemp and <laughs> – if Sean Kemp – had a baby with, like, Dikembe Mutombo. Like, he, that length, that ability to protect the rim, that explosiveness, you know, that the, the ability to move and change his body in the air, and that just, uh, just that nastiness, too. I'm going a, I'm to, a, I'm a, as my mother would say, I'm going to learn you a little something you've never heard before. All right. Giannis under the combo was everything Stramal Swift was supposed to be. Dude. Dude. I hear that. I hear that. You know, have, living in Louisiana, seeing Stro, I hear that. I, I hear that. That's a word. That's a word. And folks down here go nod their heads on that one. Because Stro, yeah, Stro is supposed to be the thing. Yeah, because I remember even like people were trying to compare Stro Moss with and Kenyon Martin. No, no, no. No. Kenyon was more of a scorer than Stroh. And Kenyon was a destroyer, too. Physically just built in a different way. And Stroh was that, like you said, that long lean who could have developed that muscle like Giannis, but wasn't going to grow into a Kenyon Martin-type presence. That, that was never going to be Stroh. But I see, the, I see your point there. I do. I really do. I really do. Um, I guess before I let you go, I'm going to let you go on this point here. Um, what do you think with the presentation of how the league is doing these games? I think that the great lesson is, is that we're going to be able to focus on the play of the game so much more than the atmosphere of the game. And I think that's actually a good thing for the NBA because we've heard this stuff for years now that it's not fundamentally sound, that they don't play defense, that they don't do this compared to the college game. And I have to tell people all the time, if you like college basketball better than the NBA, you don't like basketball. 
Yeah, I used to get criticized in high school um, because my classmates would be like, you don't watch Kapsasa? You know, I, you know my story, I, I had an early start at, at 12, so like I was always around the NBA game as a kid. I didn't really start getting into college basketball until I was in college where you've seen Russell Westbrook play, UCLA with Kevin Love. I mean, I, I felt guilty when I was in grade school. I remember watching John Wallace at Syracuse you know, and back then, but I just couldn't get into it. And then I was like, wait, he played for Syracuse, he's on the Knicks now? I was like, oh. <laughs> But like, to me, college basketball is cool. I think there's more emphasis on defense in college basketball, which is great. But I, I, I do think um, there's a level of excitement in the NBA. Um, and like you said, you're not focusing on the aesthetic. Like, you know, for example, you know, players have to show up to the arena on the team bus with their warm-ups on versus there's no tunnel to show off your drip. Right. So now you're showing off your mask drip. Um, I just think there's certain things that are just different. Um, but I do think that you're going to look at these games and look back and say, man, the fans really could impact the game by two to three points. I think that's the part that's going to be it's going to be interesting. You're not going to see people players going like this and you know waving their hands and you know there there are little intricacies that are going to be missing. But I think for where we are as a society, with no no matter how you feel about this politically, with no um, vaccine, no cure, no what have you. Again, I say however you you fit in that. I do think that the NBA is trying uh, to put something together where there is basketball, um, where there can be a champion crowned, and what have you. And I think that's different than what China decided. You know, I had Stefan Marbury on the Scooby Radio podcast, Chinese basketball legend, and, you know, he was explaining to me just how things shut down in China and how China, if China says something, all the provinces follow in comparison to, to the U.S. and the curve, what have you. Virginia says something different than Louisiana. Right. Louisiana and Virginia say something different than New Jersey. Virginia and Louisiana and New Jersey may have totally separate things going on in Wyoming. You know, so I, I think that when it's all said and done, I think we look back at just how this has been put together with a lot of criticism. I think the NBA has found a way to get it done, and, you know, hopefully it lasts. Um, and, and think that the NBA, you know, has done a, a decent job with, uh, against all odds. Man, thank you so much for joining me. I know we both got busy evenings ahead of us. I'll tell, I'll certainly be following you. Tell folks how they can keep up with you and your work. So, um, not sure when you'll be listening or watching this, but um, I have an Instagram live with Wayno today. Uh, Wayno from Everyday Struggle on Complex. I have not said this publicly. You'll be the first to hear it. Uh, Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern time on Friday. Follow me on Instagram live. I will have an exclusive one-on-one interview with New Orleans' own Master P. Bruh, this is the week to do that. You picked the perfect time. And I just, on the pod yesterday, uh, I mean Tuesday, uh, we were talking about the legacy of Master P, Lil um, uh, Juvenile, and Manny Fresh, and how those Three are the foundational. Not you know there were people who came before, but they're the ones who took New Orleans to the masses, and 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 it just p people just don't know how great a businessman 
that dude is. They just don't uh, understand. And since you're in New Orleans, I had to tell you, man, tomorrow at 3 o'clock Eastern time, Master P, Scoop B, Instagram Live. Um, and then, you know, tonight uh, you can check out uh, Heavy. Uh, check out my Twitter account, at Scoop B, but it'll be on uh, Facebook Live, Heavy on Lakers. I will be doing a live, uh, live chat uh, via Heavy.com Lakers uh, Facebook discussing the Lakers and everything in between. So busy couple of days. I know you're busy, uh, but this is what we signed up for. That's right, brother. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Thank you so much. We're going to talk soon again, I hope. And um, let's enjoy this basketball while we can. Yes, sir. We got to get you on Scoopy Radio as well. Anytime. You call me and I'll be there. Yes, sir. We in there like swimwear. All right, man. Thank you so much. This has been another Hard in the Pain with David Grubb. We'll be back again tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check me out at DM Grubb on Twitter and the website hitpwithdg.com. 